0: Church of Christ presents Interrupted. The Sermon by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, December 4th, 2022. I wonder if you can remember a time when your life was utterly interrupted by change. I think most of us can. A move, a child, a job, an opportunity, a loss, a challenge. All of us have had our lives interrupted by things we hoped for, things we didn't hope for, and things we didn't know to hope for. Today's scripture lesson of the interruption of Mary's life is one that is so familiar to us that it's almost hard to pay attention to the details. There's a young woman, maybe even a fairly young teen, an angel, perplexity, reassurance, announcement agreement, exit stage left, the end, We know the story. We don't need to stop and think about it. Its very peculiarity is hard to see and hear after so many rereadings and so many representations in art all over the world. Second only to the crucifixion, in Christian art, the Annunciation to Mary is the the most repeated motif. Now, I wanna say right from the start that we could get caught up in post-enlightenment questions about whether this text is literally or factually true. Whether a virgin could, in fact, have a child. We know science now, that doesn't seem real. Whether a child could be born of mixed human and divine parentage. Whether a supernatural messenger actually visited an obscure woman in an otherwise obscure village a supernatural messenger with a name, Gabriel, a being ancient enough to have been present to the prophet Daniel, and perennial enough that Muslim tradition will later claim him as the messenger who announced Muhammad's role as God's prophet. We could stop there, but I'm more interested in what seems to me to be more pressing questions about what this story which seems to predate the Gospel of Luke, meant to the early community that saved it and cherished it, about why Luke chose to include it and what it meant to the community to whom Luke was writing, and of course, what challenge or invitation this story might have for us in 2022. You can find any number of modern scholars who address those earlier contextual questions most accessibly, in the book I mentioned last week, John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg's The First Christmas. You can trace with them the parallels between the Annunciation to Zechariah about his wife Elizabeth's pregnancy with John and the Annunciation to Mary about her coming pregnancy with Jesus. Mary's story and the Annunciation to Zechariah and the birth of John are woven together in the text. We start with Zechariah and go to Mary and go back to Elizabeth and John. The episodes are so intertwined that the Annunciation to Mary is dated according to how far along Elizabeth's pregnancy is, in the sixth month. The miraculous birth of John to parents so far beyond the age of procreation that her pregnancy requires divine intervention is set against the even more spectacular birth of Jesus, born not to aged parents, but to one woman, never sexually active, and the direct action of the spirit. John's word and life will have special meaning, hence the special birth. Jesus's life will have unparalleled meaning hence the unparalleled birth john and jesus are cousins of a kind since elizabeth and mary are kinswomen but luke makes clear to his audience that these intertwined by these intertwined stories whose message should have the greater claim on their lives a jewish audience would not have been shocked by a divinely aided birth to barren or aged parents It's a story that is told and retold in the Hebrew Bible. They might have been shocked, however, about one where there was no father. (laughs) In the Greco-Roman cultural context, this divine birth is also unique. In this case, not because only one parent is human. In that world, relationships between human and divine are relatively common. In fact, later in his life, a story will arise about Octavian, later named Caesar Augustus, and about his mother, Asti, and a trip she made to the temple of Apollo. She slept and dreamt of a serpent, and when she woke, she couldn't wash this mark of the serpent off her body. Nine months later, Octavian was born, making him indeed the son of a god. But in the Roman world, this always included intimacy between the human and the divine characters. Jesus's conception is again unique, and Luke includes it for that specific reason. As Crossan and Borg conclude, for Greeks, Romans, Jews, and Christians in that ancient and pre-enlightenment world, interaction of the human and the divine, however you imagine that, however you describe it or micromanage it, could produce a child who would bring transcendental benefits to the human race. And of course, the reverse is true. When you recognize someone who is bringing transcendent benefit to humans, clearly their conception must have been of a unique kind. We can take from this that our pre-enlightenment ancient forebears used powerful metaphors and told profound parables, which we have sometimes taken literally and understood badly. Whether taken literally or metaphorically, a divine conception was their way of asserting an individual's transcendental character and extraordinary gifts to the human world. So the proper question is not about the biology of the mother, but the destiny of the child. What is that destiny? And once you know it, are you willing to commit your life to it? To Caesar Augustus and his project of peace through conquest? or to Jesus the Christ and his invitation to a kingdom of peace through justice. What else does this story offer to us as we live committed to Christ's kingdom of peace through justice in a world created and sustained by conquest and the threat of conquest? Here we have to focus on the details both in the story and the ones supplied by our imagination. Because in this story, there is much that we can only imagine. We don't know, for instance, where Mary was or what she was up to when the moment arrived. Was she outside in her garden or tending to her chickens? Was she inside doing household tasks? Was she sitting quietly in prayer or was she right in the middle of an otherwise busy life? Was she alone in the house as almost every image in art Pictures her. That in itself would have been an out of the ordinary moment in a village in that time period, in a small village home. Art across the centuries has tended to see her alone and either inside or perhaps on a portico just outside her house. Sometimes she is reading, often she is surrounded by the icons that we have developed to express what we believe about her a lily to represent her purity, a pomegranate to represent the deep red, a symbol of the crucifixion to come, and also full of seeds representing her fertility and also the new life that will spring up out of resurrection. Where do you find her in your imagination when you think of this story? When Gabriel arrives in whatever that place was and said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary is not just perplexed, which is how that word is almost always translated. The idea of being perplexed, um, I get an image of somebody trying to fit a key in a lock that always worked before, and they're perplexed about why this won't work. It's not that kind of perplexed. She's troubled in her mind. She's troubled but not at the fact that there is some kind of supernatural being in her presence. That goes unremarked. She's troubled by his words, by what kind of greeting that is. Rejoice, favored one. The most high God is with you. And she does something that we usually ignore as mere poetry or as a lovely grace note about Mary's gentle spirit. She ponders this. She pauses to wonder and question what she is hearing. We know how the scene unfolds. The angel reassures her, as angels always seem to do, saying, don't be afraid. And then he delivers the message he was sent to deliver about the child she will soon conceive and carry and about that child's destiny and identity. Mary does two other things that capture my imagination. She questions the messenger not about the monumental idea that she will be the mother of the Son of the Most High, that she seems to take in her stride, (laughs) but that this can't possibly happen to her yet because she is a virgin. This is an impossible thing, she says. Explain it to me. And the messenger does. There's one more word I find crucial, then. Then, Mary said, here am I, servant of the Lord. Then, Mary gave her consent. I'm not entirely sure that the angel asked for it, but Mary was enough of a theologian to know that God required it, because God does not force people into action. And so, she decided and gave her consent. Only then. Denise Levertov wrote, she did not cry. She did not cry, I cannot. I'm not worthy, nor did she say, I don't have the strength. She did not submit with gritted teeth, raging and coerced. This bravest of all humans, consent illumined her, the room filled with its light, the lily glowed in it and the iridescent wings. Consent, courage unparalleled. Interrupted in the middle of her life, the life of an ordinary young woman in a small, ordinary kind of place, she listened, paused, wondered, questioned, and then found the courage to say yes. Some theologians, especially in some parts of the Christian world, think this is because she was already unique among all women ever born. But I wonder if it wasn't her pause, her question, and her first brave yes that gave her the courage to go on. There is a theologian, there was a theologian, a 13th century mystic, who in his first collection, in his collection of sermons, the first one starts with these words, here in time. And Meister Eckhart was juxtaposing here in time, where we all live, with a time he spent in prayer. In prayer, he was able to step out of the flow of time into something he called the unknowing or the great nothing. He stepped out and he stepped back in. I wonder, and when he stepped back in, his mind was full of clarity about the ordinary world around him. I wonder if that is the kind of thing that Mary experienced when she met with Gabriel a moment out of time when she stepped back in and saw with great clarity. I wonder about those interruptions in your life. And as you cast your mind back, is there one that you will never forget? When time stood still and you suddenly saw with great clarity what you should do next. Who was with you? Did they say anything? What happened Next. And does that moment still inform the way you live? Not every interruption will involve us in the kind of grand event Mary experienced. We might argue that no one before or since has had that kind of mission or ever will. But also, we are all asked to be light bearers. I don't know if they, are named Gabri- if they are named or Gabriel-shaped, but I would like to suggest that there are angels, messengers, all around us, trying to get our attention all the time. They may look nothing like the artistic representations of angels, either Gabriel or any other. They may not strike you as being particularly supernatural in any way. They may look like a child or a homeless person or your best friend. They may even look like a memory of your younger self or a piece of art. But if we do not listen, if we do not welcome the interruption, pause and ponder what we have heard, we will never know what message they may have had for us, what favor and regard they wanted to bestow on us. If we do not start by growing still, we may miss the moment and end up unaware of whatever mission of new life, of justice and mercy they might be calling us to. We, never, we may never find that first breath of courage, which is waiting within every one of us, just as it was waiting within Mary. Living as we are between God's realm of justice and this world's realm of conquest, In a world that is always ending and being reborn, a world made, unmade, and remade again and again, the invitation of Advent is to stay present, open to the messengers who will teach us what our part is in creating a cathedral of belonging, the beloved community that will outlast empires.